0: Now, let's get to this week's episode. Welcome to T-Bone Speaks with Dr. Tarun Agarwal, where our goal is to change the way you practice dentistry by helping you achieve clinical, financial, and personal balance. Now, here's your host,
1: T-Bone. This is another flashback episode of T-Bone Speaks, where T-Bone was featured on the Passionate Dentist podcast. Enjoy. Our special guest today is Dr. Tarun Agarwal. Tarun, are you passionate about dentistry?
0: Are you kidding me, Bilal? I'm overly passionate about dentistry. (laughs) Probably if we listen to my wife, I'm too passionate about dentistry.
1: It sounds like your wife and my wife can get along just fine. May may I call you T-Bone?
0: That's what I prefer. Thank you very much. And and congratulations on having 42 episodes. That's uh, fantastic.
1: Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. It's a very ho- expensive hobby of mine. I wouldn't say expensive in financially, but in time-wise.
0: Time, yeah. It's all time.
1: Yeah, time is very expensive, but I enjoy it. So, Dr. Tarun Agarwal represents the next generation of leadership for the dental profession. As a respected speaker, author, and opinion leader, he is challenging the way general dentists practice. His practice isn't a fancy boutique, but a general practice that participates with dental insurance. Despite being contracted with insurance, he's managed to build a successful practice that is focused on clinical excellence, customer service, and allowing patients to choose optimal dentistry. His common sense approach to business, dedication to clinical excellence, integration of technology, and down-to-earth demeanor has made him a recognized educator. T-Bone, welcome to our show.
0: Thank you, Bilal. I appreciate that. And I think my agent wrote that for me. That certainly is not very truthful, I don't think.
1: Really? You, you have an agent?
0: No, I don't. I, my my, my <laughs> only agent is my eight-year-old and my six-year-old and four-year-old.
1: Yeah, well, they're the ones that are keeping busy, don't they? That, my kids sure as heck do so.
0: Yeah, they're crazy. So,
1: T-Bone, I just read a little bit of your bio, but ultimately we just want to hear more about you from yourself. So can you tell us a little bit more?
0: Well, Bilal, I could fill up our whole whole time just talking about myself. But basically, I was born in India. Uh, my parents brought me here against my will when I was two years old. We bought a motel. I lived in the motel for a long time. Uh-huh. And then I wanted um, to get out of the small town that we grew up in. I always knew I wanted to be a dentist. My dad was a dentist in India, but not here in the U.S. Mm. I went to dental school in Kansas City. I attended a, a six-year dental program that admitted you uh, directly out of high school into the dental program. I graduated when I was 23 years old, and I opened my practice when I was 25 from scratch, and uh, the rest has kind of been history. It's been an amazing ride for me.
1: Hold on. I had no idea there was a six-year dental program in the United States.
0: Yeah, I, I think they've closed it down since. I think after they saw me graduate, <laughs> <laughs> they, they decided to close it down. Are you serious? You know, I've been preaching to people
1: for years about that. I've always thought a dental school should be five years instead of four. Mm -hmm. But the admission should come in after two years, kind of like pharmacy school. You know, pharmacy school, you go for two years, get in there, and it's a four or five-year program. And you graduate with a PharmD program. I've always thought dentistry should be that way. With a mandatory one-year clinical residency or something to that effect, you know, you still graduate in eight years. You're still, quote, mature, but you get more experience. I've always thought that should be. But, you know, but who am I?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't totally disagree. The only, only thing I would say to you, my my only looking back is I missed some, the two of the best years of my life, uh, my junior and senior years of college. Um, but I, I certainly don't look back and regret it. I just would have liked to have a little bit more fun in school.
1: I don't know about you. I had a lot of fun in dental school, too.
0: No, no, I, we had fun. I don't get me wrong. <laughs> I, I definitely had fun, but I could only imagine if I didn't have the the workload I'd had. Uh, how much more fun I could have had.
1: That's true,
0: I I guess. But my dad always tells me that uh, if I didn't attend that program, there's a good chance I would have never made it into dental (laughs) school or through school at all. I would have gotten uh, distracted, and God knows what I would have got into.
1: You know, that is correct, and our fathers know us very well, don't they?
0: They do. So, Tarun, can you
1: share a quote with us today? Uh, That moves you, but more importantly, tell us how it applies to what you do and why why it moves you.
0: Yeah, you know, I've got a great one, and I look to my greatest mentor, and that's my father, for this one. And I remember it. You know, as I mentioned when I talked about myself, I grew up in a motel, literally living in a motel room with my parents. We owned the motel, and it was a small, small motel, and we struggled growing up. And that has certainly um, been the basis of the ability or willingness for me to work so hard. And I remember graduating dental school and coming back home, and my dad, um, we have a very fond relationship with each other. We talk a lot of business, and we do a lot of things together, Uh, not playing catch like most people in the United States do with their parents, but ours is more of a business relationship, and we spent a lot of time together talking about business. And I remember coming back, we went on a road trip together for a couple of hours, and we came to this medium sized city and we pulled into this driveway and there's this nice five story motel standing there. And and I said, what are we doing here? He goes, what do you think of this? And um, I said, it looks very nice. It looks expensive. He goes, yeah, we, we built it. And uh, I, you know, I looked at him and he's like 60 years old. I go, why would you do such a thing at this age? Why would you take such a risk? And I remember what he said to me so clearly because it really guides my practice and my philosophy of dentistry. What he said to me was, if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. Mm. Uh, That quote really applies to dentistry. I mean, if you take a look at your own practice, what are you doing today the same way that you did in the past? What procedures have you added to your tool belt of procedures that you didn't have before And that's about moving forward, because if we continue to do the same things we've always done, everybody else is going to pass us and we're going to essentially move backwards. So that's really guided a lot of what I do in my life and certainly in my practice.
1: Right. I mean, even at the age of 60, he's still moving forward, which is impressive.
0: Yeah, and even now we're we're moving forward again, build, building another one. So I mean, and again, I asked him the same question, and he looks at me with this, almost the same response. It's mm. it's amazing to me. You know, that tells me that you can always reinvent yourself, and you can always continue to improve and and do more. And you know, one of the things I always talk about, uh, Bilal, and, and it's, yeah. it's really important to the listeners is we all define success so differently. And we get caught up oftentimes in defining success monetarily. To me, success is defined very differently for each individual. Personally, today, in today's date, at my age, I mean, I'm still pretty young. I'm 38. I define success as time. You know, how much time can I get? Five to 10 years ago, I defined success as money. Mm. Maybe 10 to 15 years from now, I may define success as the ability to travel you know, we we all define success so differently. And to me, that's about the passion in what we do. It's how you define success. I mean, it it may be about being insurance-free. I define, you know, somebody may say, you know what, I don't care if I make a lot of money. I just want to be able to control my own destiny and be insurance-free. So I think we should always look at how we define success very differently.
1: Those are very, very wise words. I like them. And you're you're absolutely right. 10 years ago, my success- hinged on something completely different than right now. Right now, it's about making more time so I can do more triathlons. I'm just joking.
0: Yeah, and see, <laughs> that's about, that's, but see, as we, as we were talking earlier, yeah, um, and that's part of moving forward, right? It's looking at the next step. Just, just like you said to me, you said, listen, I started with a half marathon and then a marathon and then I needed more. And then you did the half Iron Mans and now, now we're doing the full Iron Mans, not we, you. Sure. <laughs> Do, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're doing those. Uh, it, and that's part of that moving forward. Because if you don't move forward, you move backwards, especially when it comes to exercise and as we age and mature, sure. those things become more difficult.
1: Right. Well, I have lofty goals for my life too. And people are always impressed by saying, hold on. So, what is going to be your next project now? I was like, oh, yeah, I'm just got all this stuff to do, you know. And they're like, you mean you're going to stop doing Iron Man? I was like, no, no, I'm just going to keep doing Iron Man again. But just, you know, I'm just going to take it easy a little bit on that. I got bigger things to fry. They're like, whoa. So, but you're right. um, You know, that's the problem. If if you're not moving forward, you're moving back and somebody's going to pass you. So, that is interesting. Now, your father never practiced dentistry, not here in the U.S., right?
0: Not in the U.S. He he practiced in India. Um, It's kind of interesting story. He came here, and I don't know if he didn't realize or if it just makes the story better to tell me.
1: Um,
0: He found out that he had to go back to school when you come here from another country, and and that didn't fit in his life at the time. You know, when you move to a, a foreign country and you have a couple of kids, and it's not that easy to do that.
1: Of course. Yeah, it's it's hard enough to do it when you don't have any kids and try to do it when you have kids. And you just moved into the country, so.
0: Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, podcast family. T-Bone here to talk about the 3D Dentist Digital Implant Continuum. Are you ready to start placing dental implants but feeling a bit hesitant and or overwhelmed? I know that feeling. I've been there. Let's change that together. Imagine not just learning about dental implants in a classroom, but actually performing surgeries on real patients right here in North Carolina, guided every step of the way by our expert 3D mentors. This is dental implant learning at its best, using techniques that are safe, predictable, and confidence-boosting. They're exactly what I use in my own practice, so you know they work. Our course goes beyond clinical skills. We prepare you to successfully integrate high-demand implant services into your practice, transforming your career by attracting new patients and elevating your practice. And it doesn't end with the course. Completing our program is just the beginning of a new journey. You'll be a part of a community of confident, skilled dentists with ongoing support to ensure lasting success and growth. After all, this is about mastering a skill that can transform your career, just like it did for me. So, are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Visit www.3d-dentist.com Check out our upcoming sessions and join us to revolutionize your practice. 3D Dentist is truly committed to helping dentists take control of their practice, finances, and future. Now let's get back to this week's episode. But it's interesting we say that. Um, Some of the best students in my dental school class were the ones that were married and had kids. And I would think the total opposite. But I think what it is, is you totally focus... Because you have people depending upon your ability to get through this and, and make a living, so it's uh, it's quite interesting uh, the, that observation.
1: That's true. I mean, I'm talking about you know people moving in from another country. I mean, yeah, m- maybe I'm putting limitations on myself as usual. You know, I just do that. You know, without even knowing.
0: We all do that. I mean, that's human nature to a certain degree.
1: Tarun, can you tell us a little bit more about what you do? I mean, I know you have seminars. You're, you're heavily involved with Howard Friend and online. I mean, just tell us a little bit more about what you do. Just talk about your work.
0: Yeah, first and foremost, I'm a general dentist. I have a full time practice in Raleigh, North Carolina. As of this year, I work three days a week. I was working four days a week, but my Outside practice, dental activities, it started to become a time constraint. So I do a lot of speaking and training, and, and I'm moving more and more towards doing web stuff that allows me to stay at home uh, and spend time with my kids, but yet reach a very wide audience. Uh, because my goal is to really help people utilize, and really it's, it's the title of your podcast, my goal is to make people love dentistry. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I, I truly believe it's an unbelievable profession you know, allows us to be healthcare providers, allows us to be business people, allows us to set our own hours, unlike the medical profession. And my wife's a physician, so I see it from both sides. Unlike the medical profession, we're not totally dictated by insurance. We have so many freedoms. It is an unbelievable profession. You can choose to work full-time, part-time, you know, no time. I mean, it's it's pretty amazing. And I just want people to to love this great profession that we have.
1: So, I mean, I know you said you're practicing, but you also teach locally. You actually have your own place here where you teach students. Is that right?
0: So, it, you know, it started out with Dentaltown and Howard Ferran, and, and we would be on the message boards um, just sharing cases. And that led to some invitations to speak at study clubs, which then led to some corporate uh, manufacturers saying, hey, can you train on the products that we have because, you know, I'm doing pretty well with that stuff, which led to, Hey, can you go out and speak to people uh, about the products to help them understand what the technology can do clinically. And it got to a point Bilal, where I was on the road 30 weekends a year. And if there's only 52 weekends a year, and then you take out summer because nothing goes on in July and August. Right. And then you take out the holidays, Easter, Thanksgiving, Christmas, the first couple of weeks of the year. Uh, that's pretty much three and a half weekends a month i'm I'm out of town, and what happened was um uh, my wife looked at me one day and she said that doesn't really work for the kids. My, never mind whether it works for her or not. It doesn't sure. work for the kids. so um we decided to build a small training center it, it, our classes are limited to twelve people, and we have a hands on training center in my office on the second floor that's dedicated to all the different things that we train and teach and believe in uh, all the things that we use in our practice.
1: Right. So instead of you traveling, basically people come to see you. I've actually attended a course by you a long time ago. I think I was working in that practice. Sunrise, I think you offered it something.
0: Yeah, it was probably on photography and stuff. Or something
1: like that. Yeah, I know you You and uh, Samir were there together.
0: Oh, right. The over-the-shoulder. We were doing our veneer programs back then, yeah.
1: Exactly. I remember that.
0: Yeah, that's kind of what started it all uh, in terms of doing hands-on training and things.
1: Yeah, that, that was really cool. That's probably the first time I met you there. That was like over 10 years ago.
0: Yeah, that's been a while. So I'm still on the road. I'm still on the road. I mean... The goal now is to, to get down to where I can be on the road only 12 to 15 times a year. I'm, I'm still struggling to get under the 20 mark, but, but the goal is to get down to 15 times.
1: <laughs> well, uh, you know, so isn't it just a choice on your part? Is it that difficult to turn people down? Is that is that how it goes?
0: Um, Bilal, if that was so easy, that's like when our patients say, can't you just fix this for me? I swear to God, I'll come back and, and get the deep cleaning, or I promise I'll get the guard. Can't you just patch this tooth number eight for me to, so I can make it through my job interview? It is so hard to say no. It is so hard to say no.
1: Well, the thing is, Theron, you are a very nice man too, so that's the problem, you see. And uh, my office manager was telling me that. Too. He said, Bilal, you have a very difficult time saying no to people. I was like, yeah, you're
0: right. Yes. I, I that's just, why we're dentists, by the way. That's, so that's the health care, right. the compassionate side yeah. of our profession.
1: I said, well, listen, why don't you say no from now on instead of me? You just filter all the bad stuff out, and I'll just hide behind you. You know, that's why you're tough. So,
0: Yeah, I, I'm not even allowed to talk about money and things in my office anymore. Yeah. They basically said, you do nothing. You just say what you can do, and just get the hell out of our way.
1: Let's let let them do the work. Oh yeah, my practice manager is uh, she's ex military, and she does CrossFit, and she's she's this beautiful lady, which is very
0: strong. She could
1: probably pick me up and throw me across the room. She's so strong. She's she's this wonderful, wonderful lady. I love her to death.
0: Well, you better think twice before you let her go, then. Okay, And she might beat you, beat yeah. you up.
1: <laughs> I'm not planning it. I'm not planning it at all. T-Bone, you've been in dentistry for, you said you're 37, so you've been in dentistry for what?
0: 15 years now.
1: That's awesome. I'm just under 20 years right now. But, you know, the thing is you you travel a lot, you lecture, you teach. I mean, you're you're on the lecture circuit. You have an interesting perspective on dentistry, far, far beyond guys like me who are just kind of in our little practices. Yeah, we go to CE courses, but we don't teach, we don't travel as much. When you look at the profession as a whole, from your perspective... What do you see? I mean, where do you see things changing? Where do you think things are getting better or worse? What's worrying you? What what do you see that we the rest of us may not be seeing?
0: Well, you know, it's um I, I talk like I've been in it forever. Fifteen years is hardly anything. But I, I see a lot of great things in dentistry and I see a lot of changes. My stats may be incorrect, but in the late seventies, early eighties, a hundred percent of dentists worked in private practices. Mm. And, and today that number is probably down to about 75% work in privately owned practices. And we're seeing a significant influence of corporate, quote unquote, corporate de- entities coming into dentistry. Uh, and I'm not against corporate entities personally. I think they all serve their purpose. I think there's a need just like this. I, I don't shop at Walmart, but there's Walmart. I don't shop at Bergdorf Goodman or whatever that place was in New York. I got into going to, you know, those things aren't for me. You know, there are many different things. So I don't look at corporate as bad. The biggest thing I've seen change when we look at a pure clinical perspective is that when I was first taken CE, the first 10 years of my career, it was all geared towards the concept of jack of all trades is a master of none. So the concept was you need to become good at one or two things and really gear your practice or niche your practice around those couple of things. And the last five to seven years of my career has been the total opposite. It's about becoming great at many different things so that we can create a sustainable practice that essentially becomes quote unquote recession proof or economy proof. And that's really where I've seen a tremendous change clinically in myself. And as we travel around the around the country talking to other people, people are really trying to open up their practices to do many more things to satisfy their patients' needs.
1: So is there anything that you see that may be worrying you?
0: You know, I, I don't want to come across on like an old fart, but uh, <laughs> I worry about the younger generation um, in the sense that the amount of debt that they carry coming out of school, it really, uh, to a certain degree, handcuffs them into the choices that they make. I worry about people not taking enough CE. I think, I think it's a joke that our state that we live in, a wonderful place to practice, only requires 12 hours of CE a year. I think it's a total joke. What's worse is that you can get those by going to a dinner meeting. Those are the things that I worry about, is is that the younger generation or the new graduates, let's say, aren't really being mentored, aren't really being pushed towards taking as much CE as possible and learning different things and learning not just clinical aspects, but philosophical aspects and business aspects of dentistry. You know, those are the things that concern me moving forward. I see a lot of people like that out there.
1: Right. You know, it seems like a lot of people I've interviewed have a lot of the same concerns, and and this this is across the board. I mean, I thought it was just me But regarding the the corporate involvement and and debt, and uh, my opinion on debt is education debt is very difficult, but practice debt to me was the hardest thing. It wasn't education debt that, that almost killed me. It was a practice debt. You know, we come out of dental school. You know, we have all these shiny new machines that we have just been playing with for the last four years. You know, you talk with a supplier, and they want to sell you all the most beautiful machines, the shiny digital this, digital that, this equipment, that equipment. And then when you're just starting off, it is a very, very dangerous place to be. I've seen so many dentists completely almost destroy themselves and their lives because of that. So the problem is a lot of times you have to pay it within five or six years. But education debt, you have a lot longer to pay it. And a lot of times practice that dwarfs education debt. So it, I really, really worry about that.
0: Well, it's more expensive now than ever to practice dentistry because it's very difficult to practice without some of those shiny toys.
1: That is true. You know, it depends on when, when you start, how you start. You know, you, most people who start their practices don't need to start off with six or eight operatories. I mean, it depends. You, know, you see what I mean? And and those are some crazy things. because when you put that many operatories, you want to equip those things, yeah, thinking they're going to be all busy. So you fall into this really weird. Place where you feel like you have to buy all these things when you don't actually need it.
0: Well, it's it's interesting you bring this up. I, I, oh God, I remember going to this lecture, and I, I won't use names. and And the saying was, "If you build it, it will come. They will come." Meaning patients. Yeah. So I built a practice. Um, you know, when I first started, I was cash free. Insurance is the devil. You know, your patients were willing to pay for it. To here I'm a 24, 25 year old kid, cash practice office with six operatories, and <laughs> They didn't come. I mean, I I almost went under after one year or so.
1: Yeah, that's my point exactly. And, you know, I started my practice. I built three operatories and I equipped only two. And I almost went under because I'm all, you know, free for service, no insurance and stuff like that. You know, you you and I are similar in in some ways, but lucky for me, I was able to survive but, you know, as my, my mentor once said, that monthly nut you have to crack is a very tough nut to crack sometimes.
0: Well, especially when you've got to crack <laughs> 10 of those before you ever get paid yourself.
1: Exactly. And I didn't pay myself for a year and a half. Yeah. That's why I was working at Sunrise and some of these other places trying to just build my practice, just just make ends meet. So
0: well, you got to take care of your family first and foremost.
1: Right. I warn people saying, look, if you're going to – if you have lofty ideas and goals, great. Start off small and then grow instead of start off big and, and risk. I don't know. That's just my opinion on it. I mean, some people will say, "Nope, you got to start off big. Don't be scared. But I don't, I've i just seen too many people fail. Uh, I've seen too many practices close. So I, I'm, I'm kind of worried about that.
0: My only rebuttal to that would be, is it the practice that failed or the human being that failed? Is it the personality? That's true. The in, inability to, to take a look and adapt and become flexible with the, with what's going on in the market. But you're right, absolutely. You can get into a world of hurt pretty quickly.
1: All right, so you ready to move on to the second half?
0: Yeah, whatever you want, man. I'm, I'm all yours.
1: <laughs> okay. Okay, before we move on, I just wanted to ask you to please go to iTunes and give me a five-star rating. By giving me good ratings, you're helping the exposure of the podcast to other listeners around the world. You're also helping me have a bit more credibility. In return, I promise to love you forever. Please send all comments and guest suggestions to host at thepassionatedentist.com. Also, I wanted to let you know of two other dental podcasts out there, The Dental Hacks by Drs. Alan Mead and Jason Lipscomb, and The Thriving Dentist Show by Gary Takis. Both are my friends. Okay, back to the episode. Golden Proportions Marketing is proud to sponsor this podcast of The Passionate Dentist. With a comprehensive team of dental marketing professionals, we're excited to help you share your passion for healthy, beautiful smiles with respective patients. Learn more about our complete range of internal marketing, external marketing, custom website, and social media solutions by visiting goldenproportions.com or by calling 866-594-4GPM today.
0: And now it's time for the quick response questions. Information you can take to your practices on Monday.
1: T-Bone, what is the best advice you ever received and from whom? Stay with us. We'll
0: be right back. Hello, podcast family. T-Bone here bringing you our newest live patient implant training, Full Arch Express. For dentists already placing implants and ready to level up and continue building their implant practice, this is the golden ticket. We're diving deep into Full Arch Implants, the hottest game changer in implant dentistry. In this program, we tackle both overdentures and all annex fixed hybrids, mastering techniques that are essential for modern, comprehensive dental care. It's about getting your hands on the tools and techniques that will replace the doubt and fear with confidence and predictability. Here's the kicker there's live patient training right here in North Carolina. You're not just learning theories. You're in the operatory doing real work on real patient from start to finish, guided one-on-one by our expert 3D mentors. You'll learn the nuances of each approach, ensuring you can cater to a wide range of patients to maximize revenue. Speaking of revenue, with me, you know it's not just about the clinical skills. We're bringing business into this aspect too, teaching you how to integrate these advanced services profitably into your practice. So are you ready to rise up to the top in implant dentistry? Join us at the Full Arch Express. This isn't just another course, it's a career-defining leap. Head to www.3d-dentist.com to enroll in our next session. 3D Dentist is truly committed to helping dentists take control of their practice, finances, and future. Now, back to this week's episode. It's, it's Howard Ferrand, no question. I remember I was at a point when I was on Dental Town. I was in that transition zone where I was trying to be fee for service. We had transitioned to insurance to survive. And I remember meeting him, and, and he looked at me and said, There's no harm or no foul or no shame in taking insurance. That doesn't mean that you have to. To lower your quality of dentistry just because you take insurance. And and I've really taken that to heart since then. And, and we focus really hard on providing wonderful dentistry for our patients, whether they have insurance or don't have insurance, whether they pay a, a PPO rate or a full fee. It, honestly, I don't even know what they're paying half the time. So it was that getting over that mental hurdle that there's no shame in being an insurance dentist.
1: Yeah, there is no shame. I'm I am actually a provider for at least one insurance company out, and I've been with them for a very long time. So I've, sometimes I wonder if I should drop them, but every time I review it, I, I'm just I'm the same way. There is no shame in it. I still provide the exact same quality of care. So that's just part of the game, I guess. I don't even think about it. That's funny, you know. I don't even think about it that much. So.
0: No, I don't. I don't even ask my patients, or yeah. my, you know, I don't look at my team and say what insurance that they have. Insurance is just a method of payment and a method of marketing, in my mind. Yep. it is a fact of life. It is unfortunately because we'd all love to be insurance free, but unfortunately, it's the world that we live in today, and I don't think it's getting any better, to be honest with you.
1: I, I agree with you. I know exactly what you mean. From your perspective, uh, what is the one habit that contributes to the success of, you know, either your students or your clients or, I mean, to, to your success? What, what are some habits that you feel like is really, really good that you want to share?
0: I would say first and foremost is being flexible. You know, we, we adapt. Um, when when things went down in '08, we adapted when things were great in 06, or 07, we adapted and pushed that a little bit higher. And as we're successful right now, we're pushing that a little bit higher. It's the ability to adapt. And the second thing is, is the ability to integrate. And hmm. in our conversation earlier about technology, I think the number one problem people have with technology is not that the technology is bad. It's quite frankly, is that they're bad. They're not willing to put the time in. It's not about the money. It's the time in to integrate that technology into their office. And integration to me means truly understanding your technology for the use that you intend to use it for and getting your team on board to be able to use it. So it's being flexible and its ability to integrate technology or integrate whatever it is. Let's just take technology out of it for a second. Let's say integrate a clinical procedure. Mm -hmm. Hey, I want to learn implants. Hey, I want to do molar endo. Hey, I want to do ortho. You've got to integrate that. You've got to be flexible and adapt your practice and then integrate whatever it is you want to integrate into your practice.
1: That's fantastic. I love it. Can you give us one clinical or practice management pearl that we can take to our practices tomorrow? Yes, I'll give you
0: one of each. Please. (laughs) Because I can go on and on about this, (laughs) Uh, because I I like to call myself the anti-guru. Okay, (laughs) Um, One is, I believe the most important thing we've ever done in our practice is use digital photography, specifically with digital SLR cameras. Hmm. I am not a fan of intraoral cameras. I think intraoral cameras promote single tooth dentistry. I believe in taking nice quality photos with an intraoral camera, I sorry, with a digital SLR camera. My hygienists do it for me. And it allows us to show the patient the big picture, focusing on the little things. And our case acceptance and our patient acceptance is tremendously higher when we're working with digital photographs. I mean, it's like night and day in terms of how we do, because right now we're going through a transition of of getting a new hygienist. So my one hygienist who's been with me who understands the photography and our temp hygienist who doesn't understand the photography, when I walk into that off-operatory with the photographs versus without the photographs, night and day difference. So clinically, I would say photography is an absolute must for every practice. Yeah. Number two, I would say on the business side of things, and and this goes against what every guru or practice management expert will tell you, is I believe in self-financing patients. Um, mm. Certainly the demographics and the market that you're in, We'll dictate that, but following certain principles, and we can get into it in more details if you want, I firmly believe in self-financing patients um, on a short-term basis. By short-term, I mean four, six, maybe even up to 12 months of self-financing within the office. It's been tremendous for us in our practice.
1: That is very interesting. That is definitely against every guru I've ever heard.
0: Yeah, because, you know, all those gurus don't own or operate a practice. They're not living in the real world. They're not living in 2014. They're not living Mm. with insurance. You know, they're they're giving you 1980s and 1990s advice on how to run your practice. And I I disagree with almost all of them when it comes to the concept of self-financing your patients. Again, taking your basic demographics into consideration. But it it has tremendously changed the dynamic of our practice.
1: Now, would you say... You know, are you actually having the patients sign documents? Like, because there's all these weird laws, like Truth and Lending Act, mm-hmm. and some of these sure. other weird things. Yeah, I mean, you, you you have to address all of that.
0: So, um, I, you know, I'm not a lawyer. Right,
1: right, right. I'm not I mean, a lawyer. Obviously. But
0: let's get into it, if you don't mind. I, I would love to talk about it a little bit more.
1: Yeah, please, let's do it.
0: So the basic tenants are are this: one, it's it's an automatic credit card, so it's automated. Uh, That's the first rule. Two, it's on a credit card. No checks or anything like that. It's always a credit card. So what that means is the person has to have a credit card. Generally speaking, people with credit cards have reasonable credit or they wouldn't have gotten a credit card.
1: Mm, Good point.
0: Uh, Two, we have established limits and terms. In our office, for example, we do a three-month plan, a six-month plan, and we recently started a 12-month plan where we do a payment plan with the credit card automated uh, on a monthly basis there. Three, we take a deposit uh, in our office. We take a 20 to 25% deposit at the time of scheduling the appointment, not the day after we do the treatment. We at the time of scheduling the appointment, we take the deposit. Good point. Um, and, and it's a totally automated. So uh, when you take all those things into consideration in the example, I like to use because uh, it's the easiest math example. Uh, let's just take a. Traditional crown. Let's again, let's just pretend insurance companies pay a thousand dollars for it, which they don't. Sure. But let's just pretend because the math, math makes sense. Uh, I'm a, I'm an insurance office. So if I have a thousand dollar crown, insurance going to co- cover 500 bucks of it. My patient's responsible for 500. dollars. I mean, technically my patients responsible for all thousand, but typically the patient's going to be out of pocket up front is $500. Yeah. If I take 25% of it down, that leaves them with 375 left. In our office, if you schedule today, I can't see you for about three, to, you know, two to three, four weeks. I'm in that ballpark. By the time that rolls around, the second payment is already done. Now we're only financing two fifty of the thousand uh, dollars because we're going to get the money from the insurance, and they've already paid two of their payments. So what we're finding is you're not really financing a tremendous amount of it. And, you know, then you look at your quadrants of fillings that you may be doing, and that's 80% covered by insurance. So you're only financing the 20%, and of that, a quarter is already paid when they make the appointment. You look at root canals, 80% of that is covered. You look at perio treatment, 80% of that is covered. Sure. It totally makes sense if you really think about it mm-hmm. from a business, a true business, not a guru business perspective, but a true business perspective. Think about everything you do in your life. Um, it's all a monthly payment. It's all a payment plan. I went to go buy patio furniture with my wife, and I had a budget in my mind that I wanted to buy this patio furniture. We both saw something we loved. She loved it a lot more than me. And the guy says, well, why don't you just buy that? I'm like, I don't want to spend that money. I can. I mean, fortunately, I'm in a position where I can, but I don't want to. He says, what if we finance it for you for 12 months with no interest? I said, sure, let's make it happen. Hmm. And just like that, you spend more. And dentistry is about spending. It's about choosing the amount of care or the quality of care you want you want to provide or choose for your patients.
1: Right. So basically what you're saying is you don't really use care credit or any of these services. You really don't need to. No,
0: I, I do. I, I do. I'm sorry. I, I left out one piece of the puzzle, and thank you, Bilal, is we have limits. For wow. example, I'm not going to finance $50 out over 12 months. Sure. Okay? Right. So in our office, the minimum amount that we'll finance is, in other words, you have to have an out-of-pocket of at least $300. Sure. And the maximum that we'll finance now is $10,000. Prior to about three months ago, the maximum that we would finance out was Mm $5,000. So we doubled our limit internally because of our comfort level with this. And we've been doing this now about almost three years. And every month, 25% of my collections come directly from our in-office financing.
1: That's a significant amount, yes.
0: It, no, no question. And if you think about it as an insurance practice, the, uh, you know I don't mind sharing numbers. Twenty-five percent in our office is is around forty thousand dollars. So if you really think about that, if I'm collecting forty thousand dollars from patients on a payment plan, how much dentistry am I doing because of that? Right. Because we're an insurance based office, we're doing eighty to hundred thousand dollars worth of dentistry from that. Sure. You know it, it totally makes sense. I just can't believe more people aren't doing it. And, and, you know, I didn't create this. I learned it from somebody else and we applied it to our office. We set rules and then we taught our team. And now my team totally integrates it. We've got it to where everybody in our office can do it. We've got a financial worksheet that we provide for our patients so they can choose the best option for them. Uh, but back to your original question yeah. is, do we still work with outside funding? And the answer is yes. For those patients that are looking for longer financing, two, three, four, five years or for bigger dollar amounts. Or some of our patients already have, for example, we use care credit in our office. Some of our patients already have care credit from their vet or from their wherever else, sure. another health care provider. So certainly we're totally, you know, in other words, I don't limit how many ways patients can pay me. I mean, they can bring me pennies, rolls of pennies. <laughs> I don't care.
1: <laughs> that was very refreshing to hear your perspective on that.
0: I'm totally dogmatic about this. I believe it works.
1: I guess if you have a really good system in place and it's very, you're very clear about it, it's just uh, in the past, people have scared me about. The, they're saying, "Oh, there's laws you can't do it because of quote Truth and Lending Act and this and that." I was like, "Whoa!" Yeah, but
0: that's when you charge interest. When you start charging interest, these things come in. So we're doing no interest financing.
1: Oh, I see. Okay, yeah. Once you charge interest, yes. But if you don't charge it, I guess none of that because so it's not really lending, is it?
0: Well, I, I don't know how it works. You know, I, I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to get myself in trouble. So, so I'm not a lawyer. But how about this? It's worked tremendously for us
1: that's good enough that's very good can you tell us about one thing that you're doing that's really exciting you right now
0: implants dental implants they excite me like crazy they really do <laughs> now, we're t- now
1: I mean obviously I know from just 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 following you on Facebook you put a lot of these really cool pictures of implants that you used in a 3d model I yeah. think you you actually design everything and I think It almost looks like you even designed the crowns before you even seat the implants. I'm not sure if that's correct or not.
0: We do. We do a prosthetic approach to implant treatment. Um, you know, this implant business, I, the, the analogy I try to give to people is if you've been in dentistry, about the same amount of time that both yeah. of us have been in. You remember in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, there was what, what was known as the cosmetic revolution. Right. Where every patient did 10 veneers. I wish every patient did 10 veneers. But, um, you know, we're going through a much longer period now. And I call it the implant revolution. Mm-hmm. And this this implant revolution will last tremendously longer. Than the cosmetic revolution. Because the cosmetic revolution pretty much died in 2008. Some people will tell you that it hasn't died, that practices are doing it, but those are far and few between. Um, But this implant revolution will last decades. I mean, it it is a tremendous need and opportunity and a wonderful, professionally satisfying thing to provide for your patients. I think our profession does it totally backwards. In what way? What do you mean? The surgical specialist should not be in charge of implant treatment. Oh, no, obviously not. But they are.
1: Yeah, usually it's the restorative guy that, that dictates which implant where and what, in what function. Yeah, I understand what you mean.
0: Yeah, but too often many dentists are sending their patients to the surgical specialist. And by the way, there's no such thing as an implant specialist. Right. I don't mean to become adversarial about these things, but it really gets, it's passionate, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it gets me going. Too many times we send our patients to our surgical specialist with just say implant in this area with no like, Hey, do you, I, I need you to graft or Hey, I need it here, or, especially when you, you know, single tooth cases are pretty straightforward. But as soon as you get it beyond single tooth, as soon as you get two teeth, the, the, the dynamics change. Sure. The rules change. Uh, the restorative options change, you know, whether you're splinting or not splinting. I mean, all those things play a role in it. And, and too many people just turn it over. And and it should be a general dentist-driven procedure. Whether the general dentist places it themselves or not is totally up to them. But it should be a general dentist, I should say a restorative dentist-driven procedure.
1: Sure. Whoever's going to restore the implant, basically.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: But yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. I'm prosthodontically trained. So I'm very, very, very keen on the idea of me telling the surgeon where to put the implants. Because we've all had those cases where the implants are not Quite in the uh, optimal place, and as a restorative guy, (laughs) I'm the one that looks bad. You know, that's the problem. Yeah,
0: but the patients want teeth. I mean, they don't care that the implant's backwards, sure, or upside down. They say, "Doc, you know, the implant's integrated. Now, where's my tooth?"
1: That's a very good point. What is an internet software or app resource that you feel is awesome that you think people should know about? Dental Town. Okay,
0: Dental Town is the most important thing in my professional career. One, it allows you to share. If you have a dream to be a speaker or a teacher or a trainer or to get into that realm of dentistry, there's no better place to get online and share your stuff and to be able to swim through it. In other words, if your stuff ain't so good, you're not going to last very long, but if your stuff is pretty good, you'll learn to make it better and you'll learn to deal with the criticism that comes with sharing your work. Um, the thick skin that you need. Hmm. If you're a young dentist that wants to get advice from people that have been there and done it, there's no better place to ask a question. And Howard has built, Howard Ferran has built a place where you don't really have to practice alone. And too many dentists are alone. They live in the little bubble where you have yeah. three, four, five employees, typically females. So 99% of them are female who just hold you hold the doctor on the pedestal and the doctor always thinks they're the greatest or the best, or they live in their own little bubble. I think it should be mandatory that dentists should participate on Dentaltown Town because it really opens your eyes to what's possible and what's out there, even.
1: That is very good advice, and I, and I understand what you mean by being in bubbles. And the thing is, you know, we're, you and I are in kind of urban areas, and there's a lot of non-urban areas out there, and people are just kind of really out there on their own.
0: Literally, literally out there on their own.
1: Yeah, yeah. Dental Town is awesome.
0: You got to wade through it. There's some good things, not so good things, the political things, non-political things. Sure. But if you, if you go into it and don't get involved in the things you don't want to get involved in, it's by far the best resource out there by far.
1: And it's free. Sure. Yeah. I understand. It's varied too. There's a lot of stuff out there. Um, From your perspective, what is the one must read book right now for people in the dental field?
0: Well, it's a non-dental book, and, and maybe I'm just uh, jaded, but um, the Four Hour Work Week uh, is, is a great book, and I think, um, you know, it really applies to me, uh, in, and I'm trying to apply it to my practice as well. In the sense that there's one commodity that we'll never get more of, and that's time. And my goal in life right now is to not trade time for dollars, because time is the only thing that I can't get enough of. Yeah. And and I'm trying to apply that to my practice. I'm trying to apply that to my teaching business. I'm trying to apply that to my personal life. And and in the practice sense, um, what I look at is um, the one thing I'm gaining from from reading that book and and applying some of those principles is uh, we're utilizing uh, a product called RevenueWell, similar to Lighthouse or Demand Force or Smile Reminder, Mm -hmm. to really Mm -hmm. automate uh, our patient follow-ups, our surveys, our reviews, uh, but more importantly, our hygiene recalls. You know, I, I didn't realize it until last month, but we were I knew we were doing it, but I didn't realize how easy it could be, how much easier it could be. Uh, we were manually sending postcards to all our patients. And that takes my hygienist time mm. or she doesn't get to it if she doesn't have time. Like, in other words, she has patients or, or then she delegates to somebody else who doesn't do it. Um, we can, that can all be totally automated. There's no reason for you to lick a stamp ever again. Um, It can be totally automated. It can be done on a, you know, where you can pick and choose exactly what type of patient gets the postcard. Uh, And we're seeing tremendous results from it in terms of freeing up our team members to do other things. There are other services out there that you can virtualize part of your office, like answering services. I have not utilized any of that. Um, but one thing that we did utilize is an insurance company or uh, a company called Unlock the PPO that we had them renegotiate our insurance fees. Um And it's quite interesting what they were able to accomplish for us. So all of these things that we try to keep in-house ourselves become, uh, you know, try to be able to do everything. Some th- sometimes we can't be experts of those things. And there are other people that are better at that. Sure. So, you know, the premise of the book is to find people, virtual assistants or whoever, who can be better at things that you could outsource things too.
1: Right. I've read that book and it has in a lot of ways changed my life. And it's funny how you said, we don't want to trade time for money. That's like the statement of 2014. I've heard that so many times. What is that service you just told me about who renegotiated your PPO fees? I've never
0: heard of such a thing. It was called Unlock the PPO. Unfortunately, I can't remember the young lady's name. Maybe if I can get on Google right now and look it up but she did great for us sure um you know there's a fee to it of course and most dentists will will balk at the fee of course but it's paid for itself easily because we've negotiated our fees sure it's unlocked the ppo.com i get nothing from it but i would love for you know i believe in creating a sphere of influence so if you call them please reference bilal saib and myself <laughs> <laughs> because that's how you know listen life is about creating a sphere of influence right that's how we get things done in life. You let people know that you have a sphere of influence. Sure. Um, and so they, they will go through and renegotiate your fees. And they do much more than that. But that's what I needed them for. I, I needed well, them to call the insurance companies and just be bulldogs with them and get my fees up.
1: Well I I'm actually looking at the website right now which is very interesting and and you know I'll de- I'm definitely going to put a link on our show notes page with all the resources they're providing so everybody can get that so it's unlock the ppo.com that's that's actually an easy website to remember so
0: yeah and they do a great job so here's my one advice that I didn't listen to myself uh-huh. do not negotiate fees yourself uh-huh. call them and let them do it because what happens is Our biggest insurance provider, the the one I really want to negotiate with, I had just negotiated a year earlier. And then we can't negotiate with them. In other words, they say every two to three years, you can negotiate again. Oh, if you're in the process of negotiating, stop, let the professionals do it. Because you might shoot yourself in the foot a little bit like I did. And I still got more than my money back on the service. Well, I'm
1: definitely going to Look that up right now. I mean, in my case, you know, we only provide one insurance, but still, that's you know, it's still a significant chunk a chunk of change. It's going to increase my revenues for next three years. So
0: yeah, like one. I and and I don't remember the exact details, but one of my plans we got almost a twenty five percent fee increase.
1: Sure, that's huge.
0: It's oh, it's tremendous.
1: That's huge. So see that alone that was worth this entire interview by the way.
0: Oh that's all that's all the value I provide? Are you kidding me? <laughs> no, no, no.
1: But but no what I'm saying <laughs> that that was like the golden nugget of this interview. You see what I mean? That that's that's huge.
0: Yeah, but you see that's what these things are about. It's about sharing. You know, I learned that from I you know where I learned that from? I learned that from Dentaltown.
1: Yeah.
0: And I called the lady up and said, hey, what's it cost? I balked at the number. I was like, man, I'm gonna spend I'm gonna spend four or five thousand dollars. I don't know the exact number, but someone in that ballpark yeah, yeah. to do this. It doesn't make any sense. And then, I, you know, my, my office manager looked at us and said, listen, if they negotiate the fees up 5% or just, yeah. you know, $100 on a crown fee or, or she's like, listen, if they get $2 more on a pro fee for you, sure, that pays for itself
1: after be one year. Of course. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. What advice would you give someone who is just about to start a new practice or a new job in dentistry? I mean, let's say you're talking to some people who are just about to graduate from dental school. What advice would you give?
0: Take education. Yes. Don't buy any cars. Don't buy a house. Live in a cardboard box. Take education. The greatest gift I ever got was from my parents. I mean, they've given me so many gifts, but the greatest gift. When I graduated dental school, my grandfather told me I was stupid because I didn't become a specialist. I didn't have the grades. I graduated in the bottom third of my dental school class. I didn't have the grades to get into specialty school, nor did I have the desire to do it. But he said, well, then, you know, my parents said, we're going to give you a gift for graduating. They gave me a cash gift. I think it was about $10,000 hmm. as a graduation gift. But they said, there's one, one condition. You must spend all of it on education. I love it. So I started taking live patient hands-on classes. I was taking them at LVI at the time. Yeah. And uh, it totally changed my outlook. It changed what I believe dentistry was. It changed who I am today. That money I spend on education, whether it's LVI, whether it's Spear, whether it's Banky, whether it's Dawson, whether it's you know just listening to some guys in Starbucks—I mean, it doesn't matter. Take education. Twelve hours is total garbage. Sure. Your first five years of practice, you need to take a hundred hours a year.
1: I love it, and that's the exact advice I've given multiple students that I know that are about to graduate. I see,
0: and take education from all the different places. Go to all of them. Sure. I mean, just find one that resonates with you. I, I love it. And I
1: tell people all the time, don't go out and buy yourself a BMW because you're a doctor now. <laughs> don't go buy a bigger house. Don't drown yourself in more debt stuff. Just, you will know, spend the money on where it really matters and, and grow.
0: Again, if you, if you think about it logically, <laughs> Bilal, you're, you're 42, 43, 44, someone that age, you take education now. Right. But you have less time to use that education. Yes, that's true. Because, you're not, you know, let's say you practice till you're 65, you've got 20 years to use it. Yeah, Whereas if I take it when I'm 25, I've got 40 years to benefit from that education. Yeah. I mean, it's the time value of money. It's like investing sure. when you're 25 versus investing when you're 45. Yeah. Every dollar you spend on education now at, at a young age will pay spades. Mm hmm later in your practice. I mean, it's just, it's the biggest no-brainer. Take education, take education, take education. And in today's world, education is more easily accessible with the internet. You can do more online. You can do more through virtual training. You can do more through podcasts. There's no shortage of education. If money is your problem, there's no shortage of nearly free education.
1: Uh, Just music to my ears. Beautiful. T-Bone, can you tell us how we can connect with you and then we can say goodbye?
0: Yes. Uh, the easiest way to connect with me is via Facebook. It's Tarun Agarwal, T-A-R-U-N Agarwal. I think it's www.facebook.com slash T-Bone Speaks. Oh, okay. That's the easiest way to get in touch with me because on Facebook, you can message me. I'm pretty active on Facebook. Number two, you'll get my articles and different things and cases that we post there. Obviously, also my email, it's Dr. A D R A at 3d-dentists.com. I'm pretty good at email. I used to give people my phone number, but I don't, I don't even have voicemail on my phone anymore. And I don't answer the phone. So I don't do that anymore. And you can call my office. And if they let you talk to me, that that person will get fired. So,
1: uh... <laughs> so, so Facebook is a great place to communicate. You know, it's funny. This is, I just want, I mean, I know this is like postscript right here, but how you said Facebook, but, there's some people that are slowly letting go of their websites and just using Facebook as their platform for their web presence now. It's it's really interesting how some people are doing that.
0: But I would tell you that's a bad idea. Well, I I think with search
1: engine optimization or something to that effect is pretty bad. But it's it's interesting how people are just not using the web as much as or websites as much as that. There's this interesting movement out there. I need to talk to my web host, the, the company that takes care of my web presence, to see what, what her take is on that. But,
0: Well, here's what I'll tell you. The problem I have with Facebook is you don't own it. That's true. My web traffic over the last two months has gone down a little bit mm-hmm. because Facebook doesn't post my stuff to everybody to see. Like all my friends don't see it every time I post it. That's true. What they're trying to do is they're trying to force and push me to pay for people to see it.
1: That's true. Yeah.
0: So, um, what I would always encourage people who are in the education business or the business of business is to do everything through your website mm-hmm. and then post on Facebook that leads them to your website because your website, you will always control. You own that sure. piece of property. Facebook, you're just a renter. You just, you're renting that, that your guest and their home.
1: That's a very good point.
0: So I, I would always recommend continue to post everything on your site. And lead everything that you post everywhere else back to your site.
1: Very good. Well, T Bone, I just I mean, I just want to thank you so much for, for taking the time to speak with me. I mean, it's like ten thirty at night <laughs> right now. Oh, That's dude, a, I don't care. I love it. Like. But I really do appreciate uh, you taking the time to to spend it with us here. This was a lot of fun. You're you're a really easy guy to talk to. I enjoy it. I mean, I can tell you're, you and I are like in the real world here. Mm-hmm. We're practicing. We're trying to make a living, trying to be with our kids and stuff like that. Your time is valuable, and I do really appreciate you taking the time to spending with us here. This this was very good, so thank you.
0: Thanks so much for listening to T-Bone Speaks with Dr. Tarun Agarwal. Remember to keep striving for excellence, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Hey, podcast family. T-Bone here.